and they were confused. They were like, no, Greg, the drum and bass stuff's over here. And I'm like, I'm not interested in that. I've got enough drum and bass. <laughs> I said, I'm interested in the soul funk and disco. And I'd walk out, you know, with, with, with bags and bags of like 12 inches, you know, of Sal Soul, you know, West End, Sam Records, you know, all, all the all the classic soul funk disco boogie kind of record labels. And I was obsessed with collecting it. But even then, even in those days, I never thought I would, I would take it further. It was just a hobby. Um, and, um, and what sort of the actual transition from drum and bass to Dr. Packer happened when a friend of mine, um, he was working in a little beach bar and he had, he was lived, he lived in Sydney, but he was working in Perth and he had to go back urgently. It was an emergency. And he rang me up. He said, Greg, I'm in trouble. I've got to leave. I'm literally next weekend. I've got to be gone. Uh, I'm leaving the club, you know, in the shit. There's no, there's no DJ. Um, can you help me out? Do you know anyone? I said, well, what music are you playing down there? He said, well, I'm, I'm playing like soul funk, hip hop, disco. And, and I finished with a bit of house. And I went, you're going to laugh at this, but I'm your man. He went, you, he goes, you, you're drum and bass. And I went, yeah, no, I said, but I've got the records. And uh, he goes, really? I said, yeah, yeah, I've got thousands of that stuff, loads of it. And I said, I'd love to do it. And he goes, well, if you want to, the job's yours. So this was probably uh, 2012, so let's say 10 years ago now. Um, And um, so I'll drag my records down there, like two or three crates of records, and I'll play for five hours um, every Saturday night. And I had one guy come up to me once and said, and said to me, um, oh, it's interesting that you're playing on vinyl and, in, and you're playing the originals. And I, I thought, well, what's interesting about that? He said, I'm surprised you're not into the, the, the re-edits, you know. And I was like, didn't really know what he was talking about. And he said, oh, he goes, you should go and go on this website called Juno Download. And uh, there's a dedicated section called Disco or New Disco Re-edits. And he said, and basically people are remixing disco. They're, they're, they're layering kick drums on him. They're quantizing them so it's mixable. You can basically build a set rather than just drop drop records, you know. And uh, I was like, okay, interesting. And then he wrote down one, one name on the back of a beer mat, and that name was Late Night Tough Guy. And I remember looking at it thinking, what a funny name that is. And he goes, seriously, he goes, Google this guy. You'll see what I mean. I went, okay. So never saw this guy again, and I owe everything to him basically because <laughs> one day I'll I'll meet him again and uh, I'll buy him a beer and say thanks. But um, yeah, off he went, and and then I the next day, sure enough, I I searched late night tough guy, got hit, got onto his SoundCloud, went through everything he was doing, and one particular track, which was, was one of my favourite tracks of all time, which is a lover's holiday by Change, he'd remixed it and he'd put this big kick drum behind it it looped it filtered it and just made it it almost made it his own track but it was a lover's holiday by change and i was just fascinated by it honestly i just i was like what is going on here and then i as i looked further into it i seen that he'd he'd made a career out of it he had agents in in the in uh europe in the us and he was touring the world basically out of doing these re-edits and I thought oh I've got to have I've got to have a go at this um and then I mean I'd have, I had sort of 20 years studio experience uh from making drum and bass and I ran my own record label <clears throat> so I was no um wait but you never told anybody what your name was in the drum and bass scene Greg Packer so that which is my actual name so that was the name I went under for yeah 25 years um so once I decided I'd made my first couple of re-edits, I played him to my friend who, who was, um, I mentioned before, Casual Connection. His name's Lucas. Hi. Um, and he said, why don't you start a, a, a SoundCloud page and upload these few edits? You never know. Someone might listen to them. So I said, okay, but I can't put them out as Greg Packer because I've built that name over all these years as a drum and bass producer. And uh, people are going to listen to this, you know, disco stuff, 115 BPM disco stuff, and think, what's he doing? And he said, well, change your name. 
<coughs> excuse me, he said, change your name. And uh, and that's not something easy to do because you made your name as Greg Packer, your real name, right? And I, Yeah. And I said, well, what I could do is keep Packer and put, don't use Greg, put something else in front of it. And I was thinking of all these different names. I, I was thinking DJ Packer, and no, I didn't like it. Mr. Packer, no, I didn't like it. Everything I put in front of it, I, was, I didn't like. And then um, I remember I had a, a, an old a friend of mine in the old um, drum and bass days. He used to call me the disco doctor because of my obsession with collecting disco rec- records and because my initials were GP, which is general practitioner, which means doctor, of course. And and then and then I sort of like thought, well, what about Doctor Packer then? And that was the first thing that I thought had a ring to it. I thought that's not too bad actually. I quite like that. And then I thought I wasn't sort of serious about it to begin with. I thought I'll put these tracks up. I'll create an artist account, Doctor Packer. Oh, I honestly didn't think anything would happen. Um, and I got a, a, a message within twenty four hours from a, a record label in um sweden uh called disco dat um and he said uh i would release these these four tracks four edits that you've done i said really i thought i've got nothing to lose so i said all right go for it and um that was that so that's where it kind of really started and it really just built from there so it's basically a wing and a prayer. Put up the SoundCloud. Let's see what happens. You don't yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then next thing you know, the first message comes in. I think where where I the, the the turning point where I started to believe that something I could take this further, something big could come out of this was I got I had a, an inbox request from Dimitri from Paris asking for a copy of one of my earliest edits, which was um, I can't go for that by Hall and Notes. And he sent me a lovely message that said, I, I, I think you've done an amazing job. Um, could I please have a copy for my sets? And I'm like, come on, it's Dimitri from Barris. Of course you can. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember he left a nice little comment under the track as well. Um, and then I got another, another message said to me, um, Dave Lee, uh, J- uh, formerly known as Joey Negro, had charted one of your tracks put in, in in his top 10 on and i went you're kidding me really and he said yeah so he was playing one and then the next thing i knew i got a an email from uh with a letterhead defected simon dunmore um saying would you like to be a guest on our our radio show defected in the house which i thought was weird because i thought well isn't defective like you know house like straight up house I think, why would they be interested in me? And um, But I thought, well, I'm not going to say no because I knew Defected was just such a big organisation, you know. So I went with it and, and did it. And as I sort of spoke to him further, he told me about the Glitterbox thing, that um, he'd started doing some parties in Ibiza, um, which was uh, under the Glitterbox name, which was a, like a side project to Defected. And he said, look, we want to take it further. We want to start a record label. We want to start producing music and put out remixes and, and originals. And um, we want to take it to the next level. And we would like you to be our first release, but you know, um, which I think was was a sure thing holding you tight, which came out around about 2016. Uh, and that was my first release on on Glitterbox and that's kind of how that started but I think once I'd got that email from Simon uh, and the messages from Dimitri and and, and Dave Lee I was like well this no this is there's got to be something in this because these guys are the the you know the cream of the crop they're at the top you know and they're they're showing interest in me I've got to be on the right path here so I I I, you know I spoke to my wife and I said because I (laughs) I I actually plan to retire when I hit 40 and I've just hit 50 by the way. Um, So, but just after I'd hit 40, all this was happening. And I said to my wife, I can't stop now. I said, this is looking really promising, you know, like. After retirement, what was the plan? You're retiring to do what now? Well, um, probably just, 
try and try and do as much as I could in the studio because I do I've done some mastering I, and I still produce music but I think what 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 I meant was with the drum and bass stuff I wasn't it wasn't great money it wasn't like kind of money I would be on um as Dr Packer so it was kind of like I thought do I want to be sort of scratching around in my 40s you know staying out till three o'clock four o'clock in the morning you know earning pretty you know rubbish money and I just thought no I'm just too old for it I just thought no and then and then I but I did say I I, I would only stop well uh, unless I was um doing well basically if I could if I could go full-time with music and I was earning a good living out of it then yes I'd keep going and that's exactly what was happening it was basically turning around um my profile was building obviously social media helped a lot because it the, the actual transition fooled a lot of people. A lot of people didn't know it was it was Greg Packer. You know, when I did my first tour as Doctor Packer back in the UK, people were were expecting a young man in his in his twenties with an Australian accent turn up. You know, um, but I'm but there's me. You know, in the mid forties, <laughs> I was originally from the UK, and uh, and it surprised a lot of people. Um, uh, and I thought, oh, and then, and then once I sort of said, look, I, I'm not new to the music industry. You know, I've had 25 years in drum and bass. I've run record labels, you know, I, <clears throat> you know, I've been around the clock and, uh, and then, but even two or three years later, people would go, oh my God, I remember you as Greg Packer. I've just realized that you're actually, you know, Dr. Packer. Oh, wow. You know, and, um, but I think because the two types of music were so far apart from each other, I mean, I don't, I don't, I can honestly say I, can't think of one other person or one other drum and bass artist or dj that's that's gone to to disco i mean i've seen some of them go to like dubstep i've seen some of them go to like hip-hop and 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 sort of like uh edm music um but to sort of to to go from from drum and bass to disco is all virtually unheard of um i'm pretty sure i'm the only one that's ever done that <laughs> I don't think there's anybody else I, I, that's what makes your story yeah that more important because you had two different lives well you get like for example you got late night tough guy who's also from australia from adelaide he he was he was also doing techno so he'd kind of gone from techno to disco which isn't that far apart you know it's still a thumping kick drum um you know it, it is a little bit different but but you know from drum and bass you're talking 175 bpm like right down to a, like a 4-4 kind of house tempo sort of <laughs> group it was uh yeah it was quite quite a quite a change <laughs> and especially especially coming out of australia yeah, true. Well, yeah, exactly. no one expected from the UK or America. You don't expect from out of Australia this drum and bass DJ to all of a sudden turn and say, "Right, well, we're going to stop that, and now we're going to do this disco thing." Yeah, what? <laughs> it's like what? Wait, what? No, normally hip hop people yeah. make that transition. The hip hop guy may say, "Hey, I'll go that way because the funk and the soul it it, it yeah. lends itself," but. This is such a drastic change, mm. switching up. Yeah, like when I went from hip hop to drum and bass, that that wasn't so extreme because it was like the breakbeats, you know, and the samples were, were, were sort of, you know, fairly similar. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, but but the thing is as well, like the the disco scene um, was a lot bigger in Sydney and Melbourne as well. Um, I mean, you've got Sydney's. A, uh, one of probably the second or third gay capital of the world so disco's quite big over there um and same with melbourne but not only that you know i'm tr i'm transitioning to disco in perth where there was basically no scene I, I remember the first couple of years i was doing dr packer gigs in perth they were they were, ru they were rubbish honestly like i was playing to you know a third of a nightclub and they were standing around looking bored no one was into it but it, it changed. It changed, and I think I think with me being associated with such a big brand like Defected and Glitterbox, and releasing several albums, um, a lot of eyes went on me. And then all of a sudden, once I'd done that, I can I can remember being booked for a Doctor Packer gig in Perth, 
and just shrugging my shoulders thinking well this is just going to be rubbish like all the others and i remember turning up and it was it was chock-a-block and like people were, were dancing and responding and i thought what's going on here this is this is amazing um and people were holding their phones up to the dj console and they were requesting my own uh productions that were on Glitterbox and stuff and i was it was it was as though i felt it for the first time i've got fans here now i've got people that are responding to what i'm doing as dr packer in my own in my hometown and it's been great since then i mean every the last few years um i get excited now like i've, I've got bookings in perth you know that, that lay ahead of me in october and i'm really i'm really looking forward to doing them because i know they're going to be great um so it did pick up it took a while but but it did pick up when you started to do the um productions and the remixing did you have anybody that was like you mused in a way that you were listening to their stuff or you just went on your own whim and said i'm going to do it this way i did exactly that yeah i um <clears throat> what i would do was um i had a, a way that i produced drum and bass um so when I made drum and bass, it was it was, it was generally original music. I'd have vocalists that would come in. I'd have rappers. I'd have female singers. And what I used to do, like I'm not like a professionally trained keyboard player. I know basic chord sequences, but I'm no I'm no genius. So I used to sample like a groove from maybe like an old soul tune or something. I would cut it up and I'd re rebuild another groove around that. And that's how I used to work. And then I would match a bass line to that and I would match other sounds. And um, when I started sort of doing the re-edits, it was once you obviously had to quantize and warp everything. Once I had everything in time with my kick drum over the top, I was like, yeah, okay, this sounds good and it's probably passable. But I'm, I was I was never satisfied with saying, that's it. It felt like cheating to me. It felt like all I'd done is whacked a kick drum over the top and, and that's it. And a lot of artists do do that. And I think it sort of shows like it doesn't, you know, sound that great. And I, I, I always wanted more. So what I would do was I would work out the chord progression that they were using in the original song. I would start layering my own on top. I would recreate the bass line and layer that on the top. And then once I'd had all these extra elements, I was able to do like a proper mix down, you know, like 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 in any any track, and the production would just would just come alive. Like it would, it, everything sounded set nice and separated. It was sonically good. Everything had its own place. And I was like, and I'd pull all the all the all the low end out out of the original song, you know, so it wasn't fighting with my bass line or anything like that. And, um, and once I started playing them out in the clubs, you know, I, I would instantly get people going, how do you get your edits to sound so fat and so big? And I'm like, well, because I'm putting in that extra work. Um, so I would produce a, an edit or a rework in the same way as I would produce a drum and bass track, um, which I don't think many people will work in that way. You know, I, I, I used to have conversations with other producers and I say, do you replay your bass lines? And they go, no. And I say, well, you know, uh, <laughs> and then I, I just, I just, and you notice it on the dance floor as well. Like, you know, there, there's other people that that work with the same technique that that, that I work as, um, such as a good example would be Michael Gray or, or or Dave Lee, you know. And when those guys do their remixes and 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 edits and whatnot, they they do exactly the same thing. They put that extra extra time in and of course i mean if you've got your stems or your multi-tracks you know you're able to do that anyway but not everyone has got access to to those you know you've got like someone like dave lee who's got you know stacks of um <laughs> multi-tracks and um so he's all right but we're unfortunately we're not all in that same boat so you know if i hear something i haven't got the multi-track for you know i will use those other methods to to, to try and get that same result and i've often tricked people as well like you know people um like i think the first time i re i re-edited uh rapture by blondie i only had the acapella so um but what i'd done is i'd recreated everything recreated the chords recreated the bass line 
and I was able to just strip everything down and give it a breakdown where the vocal would be on its own with my music underneath. And then people would say, oh, where, where did you get the stems for, from, from Blondie? And I said, I haven't got the stems. And they went, well, how did you do a breakdown? And I said, because what's running in the breakdown is my recreated music over the acapella. And I go, oh, okay. And <laughs> so I've often tricked people, um, you know, uh, by, by just working from the 12-inch single and people actually thinking or assuming you've done it from the multi-tracks. So are you actually listening to the parts and playing them on the keyboard or you yeah. something where we call, you know, um, audio to MIDI? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I will. I work, but I work in both audio and MIDI. Yeah. I mean, I use, um, the, the, the quickest way for me to sort of figure out a chord progression is I'll use uh, Melodyne. And, um, you know, if there's, if there's a section in the song that say would have the chords, um, clean you know without the drums then i would just take that little section put it into melodyne and that would often spit out the notes as midi then i would re-import them into my uh, i use pro tools so i would report and import them back into pro tools and then you'd have roughly the, the notes that you needed and you might have to tweak it a bit and you know um but you'd sort of generally get that chord progression and, and the same thing i apply with the bass line as well i mean it is it's not the kind of thing where you can just import it in and it's and it's done and ready to go you've still got to put in a lot of tlc you know, might have to erase a few notes or something you know because melodyne's not always 100 percent accurate there might be one bum note that's throwing everything off and you've got to figure out what note that is and then pull it out you know that so there is a bit of you know, you, 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 yeah, you can't really rush it. If you, you know, just sort of, um, basically just trust your ears. That's, that's what I do. So from you, so when you started project from inception to the end delivery, how long does it take you about? Um, with, with, uh, it, it depends on how, you know, how much I get stuck into it. Like my, my average day in the studio, uh, in Australia, I like to I like to try and do eight hours. So I start around about nine o'clock in the morning, get stuck in, have a break, and then then finish the rest of the day. Um, you know, I I've been known to do one in a day, um, but often like the next day I'll listen to it and, and things will stand out, and I'll pick things and I'll, or or I'll have to re remix it or master it or something the next day. So you know, pro- probably forty eight hours. Um, it just depends. Some some are really tricky. Like if if some have got a really real complex baseline and you're trying to follow every note, I can be I, that can take me like, like a whole week. But if I think it's sounding good enough to to pursue it, you know, and I think I think no, this is sounding really good. I need I need to finish this. Um, and you think, well, it's a lot of work, but the end result is going to be amazing. Especially if you can get it released, um, then I'll they'll put in those extra extra um miles but like some tunes are very basic as you know like so you, you could be working on a tune with a very simple bass line and you might figure out that bass line in five minutes and then it's done you know and then you work on to the next element and stuff like that so some of those you can you can you can finish it in one session or two at the most so it just really depends on the track i mean i am a fast worker i mean i've done enough of it i'm quite experienced now so i can work pretty quickly um but multi-tracks, that's a different different game. Like, So if I've got a multi-track of an old song that's, that needs to be quantized, you know, then you've got something like, I don't know, anywhere between, say, 16 or 20 channels that all need to be, you know, snapped to the grid and, and, and quantized, and that, that can take a long time. But, you know, if you've got something special, like maybe you've got a multi-track that you know no one else has got, it's really rare, and you think, well, it's worth doing it because you know it's it's going to be in the long run it's it's going to be worth doing it and um yeah they can take a long time they can take weeks um you know and that's that's just to get it to the to the stage where you can work on it you know just getting it all in time <laughs> so basically time locking time yeah. so it's on the grid mm. on those four beats four four timing so it makes it very easy for mixing purposes. yeah say with your remix, for example, you send me the parts to uh, spread love. I'm they're already quantized, so I've got you know that work's done. So I can instantly just start working on the remix, you know, which I could probably 
you get get the bulk of it. I don't I don't like to rush these days, especially if it's a commissioned remix. If an artist has come to me, you know, there's a fee attached to it. Uh, you want to do a good job. You don't want to rush it and bang it out and give it to him the next day, take the money and run. I like to sort of live with it. I like to play it, play with it, do a bit, listen to it a couple of days later, you know, do a bit more, listen to it a couple of days later and just live with the tune for a bit. And then, you know, I find that's a much better way of working and you're much more pleased with the end result at the end of it. Michael, I remember I asked him this, Michael Gray, everybody, um, how he's doing his productions and remixes and I asked him, did he work on only one tune at a time? And he said, no, he would do a little bit here, put that on hold, then go and do something else. Hmm. And multi-move, like, you know, you're doing one track, one track. So you're doing three, four tracks at a time. Yeah. Uh, maybe not finishing them all quickly, but you're putting a little bit. Are you working on one at a time or you're doing a little bit here? Put yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very similar uh, to, to Michael. Like, I'll have. It, I'll have some projects that are sort of on the go. Some of them I might kind of feel like I've hit a wall and I think uh, I need to sort of have a, a break from this, listen to it in a couple of weeks' time, then a fresh idea will hit me, uh, and, and which it often does. Um, but then other times, yeah, if, if – I mean, you you should, you'd probably know this yourself. If you've got a vibe going and it's working, you want to you keep that momentum going and get it finished, you know, um, but if you feel that you're forcing it a little bit and it's not quite like gelling like you want it to, I, then I'll go, okay, look, let's just um, let's just you know put this on ice and have a look at it in a couple of weeks' time with a fresh perspective and fresh pair of ears. Sometimes the things that you do at the time when you're involved because you're so deep in it, you start to say to yourself, ah, "I'm not crazy about this," and then you put it aside. And mm. I found that that break, that rest period. Mm. you heard it again wait and he said wait a minute this is really good because it just it's just part of hearing something redundantly over and over sometimes that you say am i losing the plot mm. oh yeah 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 i'm saying if you work, working on your own is 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 not always the best either like um you know if you've got someone uh in the studio with you or you're collaborating with someone online you can do do it in stages and say do you like this or or, or i mean i've done fair, like half a dozen uh, collaborations with with michael and it's great because we're bouncing ideas off each other and uh do you like this do you you know and um and and i find that obviously when you're working on your own you've only got yourself as ju- uh, as judgment really <laughs> like i remember when i was working on your remix um uh, uh, I got sent your version of it and I listened to it side by side. I was driving around in my car and your one was just banging. And uh, when the vocal come in, it was just smacking me in the face, you know, and I went and I kind of put mine after I listened to it. And I was like, no, my vocals, are, the vocals are too quiet. And um, I think I did an amended master. I, had, I went to back to BMG and said, look, Hold, can you hold on? <laughs> I need to do another quick mix. And, uh, and I pushed the vocals up a bit more on mine and then listened to it next to yours. I was like, now it's now it's cooking. <laughs> but see, I've got, if you was in the studio with me, you know, at the time, you would probably would have said that to me. You probably would have said, no, nah, Greg, that's, they're, they're going to come up. They're going to come up. Yeah, I probably would have told you it's hard to. Exactly, yeah, but you haven't got that person there. And you and uh, when when you sort of hear what, you know, when I heard what you'd done with yours, I was like, ah, no, 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 no. I need to, <laughs> I need to, one more tweak. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's good. You know, it's good to, to vibe off someone else and, uh, you know. Listen, it's happened to all of us. I mean, throughout the years, I've gotten recall sheets from record labels on remixes or productions where they've asked me to go back in to do a recall. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I agree with it and sometimes you don't. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm the same. I mean, I, I mean, I had a long working relationship with Simon Dunmore when I'd done both the albums, and uh, like it was very rare. I think there was only one time where he he gave me the the go ahead on the fir- on the first version I sent him, and uh, that track was my remix of Kathy Brown, um, "Get Another Love," 
And uh, he, he just, his reply was, no comments, Greg, absolutely love it. You nailed it. And I was like, wow. But I'm talking that one one track out of about 40. <laughs> so all the others, you, we would we were probably anywhere between three to five versions. I'd have to keep, like, he'd come back with a suggestion and, and a tweak and try this, try that. And then it'd be, we'd get up to about version five, maybe, for anywhere between version three, version five. And they'd say, okay, um, you know, we've, we've, um, we've settled on that. Let's, let's, let's send it off for mastering. We, you know, it's a wrap. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's always a bit of that, that going on. I mean, I even know if I'm doing a remix for someone, I, I actually send it to them before I think it's finished, you know, so I'll get, I'll get to the point where I'm maybe over the halfway mark, maybe two thirds into it. And then I'll send it and go, what do you think? You know, just to sort of see if you're on the right path, you know, cause I don't want to, spend too much time on it to the point where I'm happy with it, send it to them. And then they're saying, Oh, you know, can you try this and try that? And I've got to undo things. So I like to sort of send it early just to make sure I'm on the right path. Um, which is a good way of working because like, yeah, you haven't got a backtrack then. Here's a question that I'm thinking about. We've had so much disco going on. A lot of disco now. We're about 10 years. I had this conversation with John Morales in England recently about it. Where do you think this disco train is going now? Because we lived it the first time around when we were kids. And then, of course, here in America, disco Burger King, disco McDonald's, disco your your friend, disco shirts, disco hats, go to a ball game, dance disco. Do you believe that disco will keep going? Yeah, I mean, I I can remember being about two years, two years into Dr. Packer, and it was it was so hot. This guy, everyone everyone was onto it, everyone was into it, and um, and I remember people saying to me, you know, enjoy it while it lasts, and I sort of remember thinking that's a little bit negative, you know. It's almost like people saying it's not going to last, so enjoy it while you can. And I thought, okay, well, look, I, I just keep. I mean, I do get surprised myself that like I've been doing this now as Dr. Packer for nine years and it's still as strong as I've ever known it. Like, you know, if anything, I, I think it's, it's even still growing still, you know, and uh, I do, I do think it, it, it got to a point maybe two or three years ago where I remember coming back here to the UK and every DJ was playing the same records. Chic, I want your love, you know, um, Sister Sledge, uh, we are family, you know, and it was like, come on, you know, there's so much more out of there. And people were just going for those. Every night I was going to, I was just hearing the same stuff. And I myself was getting bored of it. I was like, oh. And then I'd listen to someone like Dave Lee play, and I wouldn't know half of his set, you know, but I knew I knew there were old tracks that he was remixing but they were so rare and obscure and I'd be, I'd be like in the booth watching him play and I'd be buzzing. I'd just be going, what is this? What is this? That's what I, I think disco really needs uh, to move forward. And I've noticed that um, even Simon Dunmore with Glitterbox and the shapeshifters and the horse meat disco guys just pumping out originals one after another original disco. And, uh, and they, they, you know, Simon, Simon knows what he's doing. He's been a, an A&R man for, you know, forever. And, uh, and he's really good at his job and he, you know, and he knows himself that how important it is to push original music as well as the old stuff. And I think if disco was just constantly just only re-edits of, of songs we've heard a million times, it would eventually burn out and people would get sick of it. But as long as there's modern productions coming out, I mean, Michael Gray's doing original disco. I'm trying to. <laughs> I've, done, I've done one. <laughs> but, and I've got, I've got a couple, you know, in the pipeline where I've, where I've been sent some original top-line vocals. Uh, one that I started, but I didn't quite get it ready in time for this tour. So when I get back, I'll, I'll finish it off. But... um yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm a believer that like that you know the disco scene needs new music to survive, 
as well as the the old re-edits. I think if, if it was just remixes and edits, I think it would have burnt out by now. But um, the fact that we've got that kind of, yeah, that option to keep keep disco sounding new as well um, is great. That's and I think, I think with, with that in mind, I don't think it will it will die out anytime soon. No, you're right. No, I, I agree. I, I think it will take a shape, maybe a little different turn. Yes. It yeah. has to. I don't think anything that would stay complacent can last. It's like well, anything else. We get tired of you know hearing that same old sound over and over, you know? One, one thing I have noticed um, playing at other events and listening to what other DJs are playing is the drums seem to be going more housier. You know, like, so, you know, up until now, you know, you've got your disco drums, real lots of live percussion and congas and uh, and stuff that gives it that real kind of disco feel. And I find that the groove that I'm hearing is still on a disco kind of tip, but the beats are getting much more simplified, almost like house. Like you could play it next to a house track and it wouldn't sound out of place. I have noticed that people's production are sort of going in that direction a little bit that like i'm not i've kind of staying to 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 what uh, i'm used to doing i suppose um and but i think i'm i mean it sounds sounds funny but i'm kind of watching myself as well as i'm watching everyone else like um you know i just done my re my most recent track is um a cover of d train you're the one for me but it was re re-sung by colonel abrahams before he passed away and even when I produced that, I was kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go, you know, uh, because it's it had my traditional Dr. Packer sound to it. Um, and, uh, you know, it hit number one. And as soon as soon as if it hits number one, I'm like, yeah, I'll, look, I'm on the right path still, you know. But I'm sort of waiting for that time where, you know, I'll put something out there and it, it, it doesn't hit, doesn't even reach a top 10. And I'll start thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe people are getting tired of this sound and, and I'll probably be ready to, to adjust, to make an adjustment, you know, if, if, if required. But I mean, as long, as long as I can do what I do and, and they're selling well and, um, and my gigs are, you know, I've still got gigs, then I, I don't see a, a a need for me to personally have to change my sound. I think, I, you know, as long as it's still relevant. Yeah, I mean, look, you etch yourself your sound. You yeah. Know, yeah. Know, know that how you sound, and they yeah. know what you do. Um, but I'm going to be honest. There's not many first-class productions that are standing out that are not a classic track mm. that you're touching that you go, holy smoke. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, the new stuff. I'm talking about a new singer sitting down, writing a song. It's not many of those. No, it, it is very hard to to come up with a with an original song, um, unless you've got you know if you've got you look at the way uh, Simon Dunmore would do it with the shapeshifters. You know they record strings. You know they've got bass players, keyboard players. It's like a band that's produced that song. You know, and shapeshifters is obviously. Put, put it together, engineered it, got the vocals in, you know, and it's, it's, so when it's presented and uh, in, in the final product, it's literally like a band has recorded this, you know, and, and obviously Simon's invested in that. Uh, that's where I would probably fall short because I haven't got that access, you know, back in Perth. I haven't got like, you know, a drummer I can bring in and a, bass player i can bring in and record some strings and, and all that kind of stuff so i have to try and do it myself you know I, I mean i can have certain live elements um but also vocalists as well you know like australian vocalists i mean in london you there's you spoiled for choice for who you can use really um but in australia you're kind of like oh, okay well <laughs> where do i look for vocals <laughs> right you're pigeonholed you can only do something yeah, yeah. you are yeah no, I know you're not. It's not like you're in New York City or mm. where you have everybody I mean, coming through. I mean, I mean, I'm in a I'm in a fortunate position where, you know, I'm I'm working with some some of the biggest vocalists in the industry. You know, like uh, um, like for Nervous Records, you know, they're giving me like uh, tunes by Kim English to 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 remix and Kenny Bobin and stuff like that. You know, um, like legendary 
vocalists that I'm working with anyway, but they're remixes, you know, it's not like they're not original, original songs. Um, but you know, it's not to say that down the line one day, like I can't, you know, hook up with one of these vocalists and say, look, you know, how about let's, let's have a go at doing something original. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure I can make it happen down the line. Doc, Dr. Park, <laughs> Dr. Parker, here's the thing. You've already got a plethora of great records in the sense of 1976, 1977, 78, 79, 1980, right? In that period. Yeah. South Soul, West End, tons of great records. Mm-hmm. You're already starting where the level is here. And now yeah. you're taking it with the technology we're all working with. We mm. wish we had all that back then. Yeah. Yeah. To make them sound what you're doing to this point, incredible. Mm. So I give you that. But we're also saying how envious everyone is of you in a <laughs> good way because you're touching Picasso's mm. and this. These yeah. are Rembrandt's. These are not like. I know. I know. My, yeah. I mean, when I, when I, when I got kind of um, in with, with Salsol, at BMG, and they they said, "We, by the way, we also control West End." And the next thing I knew, I was doing um, like raw silk to do it to the music, and I was like, "Well, you know, this 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 isn't happening." And also with with um, uh, Simon Dunmore, I mean, he gave me like Pete Heller's "Big Love" and and Lola's theme by Shapeshifters, and to me, they're two of the biggest dance tracks like in history, and I'm like what am I supposed to do with this? You know, how, how do I take this t- to the next level? And you know, like, like you say, people, it's like people are giving me Picassos and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know, no pressure, like, but what are you going to do to this? <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, I thought, screw well, it up. don't screw it up. Just make it. I know. <laughs> don't butcher it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's one off beat. What beer are you drinking? What kind of beer? Uh, Peroni. There you go for all the people out there. He's drinking. I'm my rider. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, you know. I I just watched like the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger speak about his life with the Stones, yeah. and you know, you look at those bands, what they did in 50 years, and the same with music. Disco never died. It just oh. went to the side you know yeah, yeah and when we started house music it was the revenge of disco because we all those that love house music love disco you yeah. have to mm. you know the ones from the original first core of house music we used to all listen to those disco records and we would dream to make records like that absolutely yeah like a doctor love oh my god let no man put us under so of course we're watching you dave lee then michael gray got in the thing because michael was a house guy too for a long time full intention Mm. dimitri was you know touching stuff and you know tom moulton i'll use him as an example because i've spoken to him over the years over this Tom doesn't like when all of you take records. For example, I shouldn't say like, he dislikes the idea of a remixer reproducing parts. Okay, yeah, yeah. He'd rather hear it like the way he, this is how he sees it. Yeah, fair enough. With the original stems of the multi as a so-called, what was originally a remix? Yeah, yeah. You were taking what they gave you and rearranging it. And as the years went on and technology happened, people started to have these ideas of overdubbing. Yeah. Sort of like what you said. Mm. When you started your SoundClouds, you yeah. were taking disco re-edits and giving it a bit of bigger sound by pushing it with additional, let's call it what it is, additional production work yeah. to really make stuff sound crisp yep. banging and make it for the younger crowd to say that's not my grandfather or mother's record mm. my record now yeah yeah so good on you on that 
And a lot of people don't know that, that you were really doing that. They thought, oh, wow, he's taking the stuff and somehow magically with salt and pepper and <laughs> it to make it sound like this beautiful thing. But yeah. in actuality, you're really giving it more of your input, yeah. at, not only as a remixer, but as a producer as well. Yeah. I like to say, like, breathing breathing new life into music or into these old old tracks i suppose yeah so now that you've touched almost every record in the game (laughs) would you ever return back to the to your former greg packer drum and bass um i did do a remix uh earlier this year for um so so carl cox has got an australian manager uh, he does the mobile disco with this guy called Eric Powell. I'm not sure if you if you know him. So they do uh, uh, this thing called Carl Cox and Eric Powell's mobile disco. When they they do all kinds of stuff. They do they do but they do disco. They do uh, soul funk, hip hop, and they play drum and bass. And um, they'd done a a cover version of Wishing on a Star, um, which uh, the original was Rose Royce. I think. Am I correct? Um, and he said, it's, it's really slow. And I said, can you do a Greg Packer jung- uh, jungle mix? I said, okay. And, uh, yeah, so I did one for Eric Powell. And also I did one for Carl Cox, uh, a Bob Marley, uh, Exodus drum and bass mix, which he played on BBC radio one when he did his drum and bass set. So I, this was a COVID thing, by the way. So when over the pandemic, when our borders were closed and we couldn't, I couldn't travel, I started to take on Greg Packer sets again, playing classic drum and bass. Um, that was really just a temporary thing to, to keep, uh, keep the, you know, pay the bills, keep the income coming in. And um, yeah, and I happened to do those two mixes for Cole Cox and Eric Powell during that period. And I, I quite enjoyed it. But I did question when I was doing it. That's what I want to hear. I did think your mind. Would I would I do it again? Full time. time. And the answer is no. (laughs) I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but I didn't get that. I didn't get that hunger. You know, like you know, like, well, uh, how can I explain it? When I heard when I heard that late night tough guy mix of uh, Lover's Holiday, I got that hunger and I just went damn, I got to do this. I have to do this. Um, but going back with the drum and bass thing, I was kind of like, yeah, this is fun. And then even playing a couple of sets out, I was like, yeah, this is cool. But I'm like, no, nah, I want these borders down. I want to be traveling. I want to carry on on the, this Dr. Packer journey because it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. But we don't want it to end. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Something I, you know, yo, truth be told. So I took my first crack, 2016, first disco record. I did produced it from scratch. I remember. Got Shirley Lights involved. Yeah. Melt so you down, up. melt you down, girl from West End Records, right? And I did this thing called Fire. That's how, That's how we met, wasn't it? Yeah. And question that came from Packer was are you the same Lenny Fontana who yeah. had that record sp- on oh, yeah. records, the drum and bass record me. I said yeah it's me well the thing is in in that in that in those days um, I was a massive fan of New Tone and we, I had a few other fellow drum and bass you know DJs and we we thought New Tone was God, you know everything he touched turned to gold. He was the man, and um, and of course we all knew about Hospital Records and it was like, to be honest, when I saw it, it was like Lenny Fontana spread love New Tone remix. I listened to it because it had New Tone remix on it. I'm sure, of course. And then I went and I heard it. I went, oh my god, this what is this? This is amazing. And of course, all my friends and me included, we played it to death. And then, um, and then I got onto the Norman J. Uh, Good Times compilations. I loved them, um, and I started collecting them. 
And of course, it had Lenny Fontana's Spread Love, but it didn't have New Tone remix in it. And I went, oh, this must be the original. And then like kind of, and then I heard the proper house mix, which was your original mix of it. And I was just like, oh, wow. You know, and then I'm playing that as well. Like I was such a fan of both mixes of that track. And then when when I'd done the fire tune with you, my my friends said to me, ask him to do Spread Love. And I'm like, he's not going to let me remix Spread Love. And he's going, ask him, ask him. And then um, we realised when you said that BMG owned it, I was so heavily connected with BMG through the South Soul and West End. I thought, oh, I've got to ask this question. So I asked the question. I said, look, could we could we remix it? You know, Lenny and myself, you know, can we bring it back to life? And, um, yeah, sure enough, they were they were happy to to go with it. And uh, that was amazing. Amazing opportunity. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Let's give everyone a real scoop inside what it's like to call BMG out on this. Mm. So he asks me about the record. I did the deal originally with Asterio Records. Yeah. UK. Okay. This is going in the 90s, guys. 1990s. 1996, I think I did the deal. That record label stereo is owned by Fatboy Slim, Norman Cook, Skint Records. Yeah. Skint Records, um, six years ago, decides to sell catalog, Skint, and all the subsidiaries to BMG. So what happens is, BMG, as the company they are, Burton Music Group, comes in and buys the catalogs. Yeah. They put that stuff away in a closet down below. <laughs> Nobody knows where this stuff is. It becomes what they call catalog music. Yeah. So when he says about going to them first, the question was, what record are you talking about? Because they don't even understand what he's mentioning. Mm. I didn't even know what he was talking about. Spread love. They're like, what is it? So we have to go through the whole thing to explain oh. it was signed from, oh, that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuff. And he's laughing. So he knows what I'm talking about. So we're mm. talking is about two months of just males going back and forth to get them to realize mm. that some of this historic music is in their catalogs, in mm. the basement, down below in the dungeon area where trolls live. Mm. Now, here's the next question. Do they have the parts to do the remix? No. They got zero. (laughs) 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 They got no parts. No. And the next question comes back to me from him. Lenny, do you have the parts? Yes. Of course. Yes, I do have the parts. parts. Of that record, I have the parts. Mm. But my point is, back in the day, when we signed the record over to these labels in the 90s, all they wanted was was the acapellas and the main mixes Mm. on that tapes and over, and that was it. So what these labels all bought from the 90s are records mostly just with acapellas. And I know that because a friend of ours at times will do where he lifts the multi-tracks, makes multi-tracks stems from the actual two tracks Yeah, with, yeah. with software, but it takes time. Mm. A lot, and I know we have, we all go through painstaking things. I get calls. Do you have parts for this remix you did? No. No, because back then we we flew stuff in, played the keyboard parts, went right from virtual and went right to tape. And yeah, then, you know, yeah. so it's terrible, but that's a big part of the 90s, 80s, mm. 90s, and before the 2000s, then everybody started asking for stems. Yeah. Pre yeah. that. It's this is still a nightmare because I know you must go through it still looking for parts. Well, they, they, BMG even asked me because they've released uh, was it three, four, four South Soul EPs of mine, so like four tracks, 16 South Soul tracks. And uh, there was a couple, I think, um, it was hit, hit and run. Um, <clears throat> and I'm not sure, I think it might have been Love Thing, Hit and Run. And I remember the guy who was working at the time, a guy called Simon Dawson. He was emailing me going, 
how the bloody hell have you got the parts to this? Or how have you? <laughs> I was just like, all right, look, I can't tell you where I got them from. It's as simple as that. Does it make a difference where I got the parts? The person that gave them to me initially said you didn't get them from me. So I was like, well, okay, well. I take that stuff to the grave with me. And uh, I said, look, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to release them. Uh, I've got the parts. They're on, you know, it's a proper mix down. It's a proper production. It's not an overdub, you know, and um, you should just be happy with that. So, yeah. <laughs> no questions asked. Mm. Right here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, mean, I mean, I mean, some of the people that, the biggest the biggest names in the industry trust me enough to send me that session and they know that i'm going to do a good job with it so it's like where well, i don't go around begging people saying oh god can i have this or i'll swap this for that you know if it comes to me it comes to me it was meant to happen that's the way i look at it you know packer before i let you go because i know you're busy <laughs> big things happened this week Happy birthday to you on the half century mark. Everyone, please wish him a happy birthday because I did. Thank you. <laughs> we got 50 more years. Yeah, we got 50 more years in front of you of disco mixing to make the centennial man. Let's hope so. <laughs> From my mouth to God above, we hope for the best. Well, if, if DC LaRue is still doing this at 80 years old, then. DC's got- coming on a Friday show to sing all his tunes right here. I've got at least 30 years ahead of me. <laughs> and the single coming out, uh, Packers done it. I heard the mix. Packers mix is hot for the yeah. DC LaRue. Hot jungle drums and voodoo rhythm and cathedrals, which I did over the pandemic. Um, you know, that was a. I mean, over over the pandemic, I, I did more studio production and um, got chatting to DC, and he uh, he said, "Yeah, why don't you do a couple of my tracks?" And um, we we I mean, he was thrilled to bits with what I did, and and as was I, and we got them out on on Glitterbox, and uh, happy days. But um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm just uh, privileged to work with like you know legends in the in the industry. You know, the the original the original guys like DC LaRue, Sal Soul with West End. Um, I feel truly blessed that, you know, they're calling on my services. The doctor's surgery. The doctor's surgery. The big news. <laughs> um on Monday it came out that defected records, Simon Dunmore, the AR man himself, is stepping down. He's retiring yeah. after yeah. a year and has sold all the assets. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Over. I um I I knew he told me he was retiring last year sometime, but I I just thought he meant he was retiring retiring from DJing, like the traveling around the world, the late nights, you know, that kind of lifestyle. But took me by surprise. I I I thought he would keep keep going with the um the office side of things, the A and R stuff, but obviously not. You know, it took me by surprise as much as it took everyone else by surprise. Um It'll be interesting. I think Wes is is taking over. It'll be interesting to um, to see where where it goes from here. Let me just say this, everyone. I've got I've had this conversation and as well experience. This is my own experience. This is what happens when big companies with a vision now change hands. I twice in my career had two massive hits and got caught up with two major labels being bought out. And twice that happened to me, twice those records get lost and everybody who is amongst that vision of A&Rs are sometimes lost. So we hope that with Wes at the helm, the vision will go on and stay strong for all of them. It's not that I wish you anything bad. It's just that out of experience and others I know that were caught up in Casablanca moving to Polygram. Yeah. Strictly rhythm being bought out by Warners. It, it just, the vision of corporate doesn't always see the vision of, say, a Dr. Packer if you're mm. running a label. Mm. You know, corporate yeah. people don't understand the feeling of what we feel or the ad- adornment or love to these, to the music. Mm. 
you know? Yeah, but I, I think, I mean, Simon, it, he must have thought really hard about who he was going to kind of let fill his shoes, I, I, I suppose. Um, and I'm sure he's the right man for the job. I give him the best. Packer, yeah. get your albums, more remixes we need from you. Yeah. More DJing sets next week. I know you have your last gig in England, and then you're flying back to. That's correct. So I've got this um, this coming weekend, which is the bank holiday weekend. Um, I should probably say that I've been here since since the middle of June, so it's a nice long tour. Jesus, um, yeah, I've had gigs. Is, is your missus there with you, or is she back home? She's joining me on um, next weekend. So she normally. Uh, joins me sort of towards the end of my trips and we have a little holiday afterwards. So this weekend I've got um, a, a gig in, up in Leeds, uh, downtown disco and uh, Prince of Wales in Brixton with Greg Wilson. And uh, that's my final two gigs. And then she joins me uh, and then we have around about nine days holiday. This this year we, we're just going to stay in the UK. Um but yeah, we've been apart for over two months, which has not not been easy. Um, it was it, it was because I lost two years from the pandemic. I wasn't able to tour in twenty twenty or twenty one. Um, we sort of made made a, a a mutual decision to to, to go longer this time um, to try and make up for a little bit of lost ground, uh, which I hope that I have done. <laughs> he did. He made. Yeah. Okay. He's been all over the UK. I, I was crossing paths around him here, there. I know, I know you was here as well. I, at one point, I think Karen was trying to link us up in in Nottingham uh, at one point. Couldn't but I think, do it. Couldn't yeah, do it. We, you, you're busy. I'm busy. It's just hard to, you know, there's people that, um, that are messaging me even now saying, when are you going back? We still haven't linked up yet. And I'm like, well, time's getting tight now. I'm only here for two more weeks. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna tell you? Like Carol Burnett used to say, everybody, go home. Time yeah. to go home, baby. Yeah. Regroup, regroup, go do your gigs in Australia. We'll see you on that side. I will see you on that side next year in 23. I'll look forward to that. Yeah. And if you need anything, you uh you just hit me up. Oh, you know I'm going to. Buddy <laughs> Fontana coming out of NYC to England to Perth and abroad. 